2: the World War II radio podcast. Today, we have the CBS World News from the morning of November 2nd, 1942. It includes updates on the war from New York, Moscow, London, the Pacific, and Washington. There are a few problems with the broadcast at the end of the recording. The very end of the update seems to be cut off, but most of the news is present. World War II Radio Podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production. If you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And be sure to visit our website at brickpicklemedia.com slash podcast, where you can find links to past episodes as well as the books featured in our podcasts. So thanks for listening. and enjoy, enjoy today's episode of the World War II Radio Podcast.
1: CBS World News brings you the early morning reports of its correspondents at home and abroad. And here are the highlights of the biggest news received up to 8 a.m. Eastern Wartime, Monday, November 2nd. Big Jap fleet withdraws from Southern Solomons after battering by sea and Air Forces. MacArthur's bombers sink or damage seven more enemy ships in new attack. British Imperial trap Axis forces at Mediterranean end of Desert Line. Russians gain in Stalingrad counterattacks and hold in the Central Caucasus. And now here is Jay Sims.
3: Before calling in Washington, here are the latest details on the fighting in Egypt. The latest communique from Cairo confirms earlier reports that an Axis unit has been trapped in the western desert. The enemy force, consisting of both infantry and tank groups, is reported to number several thousand men. The pocket is at the northern end of the Alamein Line, next to the Mediterranean. At first, British troops cut in behind the enemy lines and encircled infantry forces. Then, Axis tanks broke through to join the trapped unit. No attempt the breakout was made in daylight yesterday. Overhead, British and American planes yesterday battered enemy positions all along the front, sank two merchantmen off the coast, and attacked Axis airdromes in Crete. In all these operations, eight Axis planes were destroyed. Only one Allied bomber failed to return. Now, for a report from our own nation's capital, we take you to CBS Washington, John Purcell reporting.
2: Our outnumbered forces in the Solomons are getting a well-deserved breathing spell. For the time being, at least, the pressure is off, and the withdrawal of the enemy fleet has given our surface units a chance to aid the Marines and Army troops by bombarding enemy land forces on the north shore of Guadalcanal. Last night, the Navy gave more details on the great naval air battle which started October 26, northeast of Guadalcanal. The latest report now lists hits on two enemy carriers, three cruisers, and two battleships. Our losses have not yet been added up, but so far include the loss of a destroyer and a carrier and damage to several vessels. An Associated Press Dispatch from the South Pacific quotes an American pilot as saying that aerial bombs had completely smashed the flight deck of a big enemy carrier. He said she appeared to be sinking when last seen. Since August the 7th, when the Marines took over Guadalcanal, 12 Jap ships have been sunk, three probably sunk, and 61 damaged. American losses, as reported to this date, are 16 ships sunk and an unidentified number damaged. The administration has gained a powerful ally in its fight to remove congressional restrictions on the training of teenage boys. Last night, the American Legion pledged its full support to defeat of the Senate amendments requiring a year's training before 18- and 19-year-olds can be sent overseas for combat duty. The Legion's support will be warmly welcomed by military leaders. Probably no other organization in the country packs as much prestige in congressional circles. There's no doubt that a reversal of the Senate's attitude would ease the minds of our military authorities. They consider the pending legislation as one of the greatest stumbling blocks to the formation of a winning army. In a radio address over this network, Roan Waring, national commander of the Legion, declared that the veterans organization would exert all the pressure it could on Congress. He asked Legionnaires and other citizens as well to let Congress know that the country expected passage of the new draft bill without any strings attached to it. Waring declared that the army has a definite schedule to follow, but at that, if the year's training proposal is carried out, older men would have to be inducted. The results, he said, would be a less efficient army and disorganization of our vital war industry. This is John Purcell in Washington, returning you to CBS in New York. Back
3: in New York, We hear next from the Soviet capital.
2: We take you to CBS
3: Moscow, Walter Kerr reporting. Atmospheric conditions interfering with our broadcast from Moscow, we bring you the latest wire reports we have at the moment. The Germans inside Stalingrad retreated farther today before powerful Soviet counterattacks, but battlefront dispatches said the Nazis were rushing more men, planes, and tanks to the Nalchik area of the eastern Caucasus for a supreme effort to drive to the Georgian military highway. The Soviet noon communique said four German tanks were blown up and 12 trucks loaded with troops and supplies destroyed in the Nalchik area and acknowledged no new enemy advance. The Germans, however, drove a wedge into defense positions around Nalchik yesterday, their fifth gain since the middle of last week, and all dispatches emphasized the danger of a breakthrough. As for Stalingrad, the Germans appeared to be on the defensive on almost all sectors inside the city, northwest of it, and south of it. Ferocious attacks that last week had threatened to rip through a northern industrial section of Stalingrad to the Volga had dwindled to nothing, and the Russians, taking advantage of the weakening Germans, have been counterattacking for two days. In the Stalingrad area, Soviet troops on various sectors counterattacked and dislodged the Germans from a number of fortified buildings, the noon Communique said. A Soviet unit in a fierce battle wiped out 250. Stalingrad defenders display exemplary courage and initiative. A few men in a field kitchen held out until aid arrived and threw back the enemy. One sniper accounted for 58 Germans. Northwest of Stalingrad, a Soviet patrol drove into a fortified zone, destroyed seven blockhouses and three dugouts, and wiped out 200 men. The Germans have been on the defensive northwest of Stalingrad for more than two months since Marshal Semyon Timoshenko opened a relief offensive there. South of Stalingrad, the Russians occupied the forward line of German defenses yesterday. They were consolidating their gains today, and the Germans were on the defensive. With winter not far away, the Germans were trying to drive from the Nalchik area to Orjankid, 50 miles away, terminus of the Georgian military road which leads over the Caucasus Mountains to Transcaucasia. The weather in Transcaucasia is comparatively mild all winter, and the Germans might pursue their long-delayed campaign for Baku and Batum salvaging a fraction of Adolf Hitler's 1942 plans. And that's the news from Moscow. Now for the latest news from the British capital, we take you to CBS London, Bill Downs reporting. Military
0: analysts in London regard the first phase of the Battle of Egypt successfully completed, but military opinion here is not yet claiming anything like a decisive victory for the British Eighth Army. The initial British successes on the Alamein Front have gone according to plan. By using the most difficult tactic of modern warfare, the frontal assault, the British Tommy has acquitted himself well. Even the Germans are admitting that. But this is the beginning of the second week of the Egyptian offensive, and so far the battle has been a hard yard-by-yard advance. A lot of German and Italian blood has been spilled in defending those yards of Egyptian desert, and a lot of British fighting French and Greek blood has been sacrificed in driving the Allied wedge into the Axis battle line. The British expect and are willing to make more sacrifices in this battle of North Africa. As yet, there has been no major clash between the Allied and Axis armor. The belief here, expressed by such authoritative observers as the Daily Telegraph military analyst, is that the first big battle between Rommel's panzers and General Alexander's tank units will occur this week. The German radio is claiming that this battle already is underway, but thus far there has been no confirmation of it from Cairo or London. When this major tank battle occurs, its result might well determine the success or failure of the whole Allied drive in North Africa. In many ways, the Egyptian battle has been a very strange one, particularly has it been strange from the point of view of enemy propaganda. The German and Italian propaganda machines have been grinding out some pretty crude stuff. For example, when the British offensive started, the Nazi radio began talking about the overwhelming superiority of the Allied armies in Egypt. Once they even claimed that one million men and a thousand tanks were being thrown against the short Alamine front. The Italian radio also has given out with a similar line of talk. Italian radio announcers continually speak of the British avalanche in Egypt. And it is the Axis and not the Allies who have revealed commando raids on behind-the-lines positions, such as the one Berlin radio claimed was made near Mursa Matruh over the weekend. Some observers in London take the view that Such propaganda from Germany and Italy is the Axis way of preparing their people for German and Italian reverses in Egypt. If this is true, and I say if, the more such talk that comes from the enemy, the better. Now, this is Bill Downs returning you to CBS in New York.
3: That was London. Now, here's the news from Australia. Australia. Striking twice to unload 33 tons of bombs in their fourth consecutive pre-dawn attack on Japanese naval concentrations in the bowen area of the Solomon Islands, Allied airmen fighting under General Douglas MacArthur believed they sank or seriously damaged seven enemy vessels yesterday. In continued support of the Solomons' operation, a headquarters communique said today, two heavy coordinated night attacks were executed by strong formations of our heavy and medium units against enemy shipping. The attacks were delivered from low altitude in the face of intense anti-aircraft opposition. 33 tons of bombs were dropped. Accurate observation of the results was difficult, but seven vessels were believed to have been sunk or seriously damaged. One of our planes failed to return. A war correspondent of the Melbourne Herald said the seven vessels included warships and merchantmen. He pointed out that the 33 tons of explosives dropped in the raid represented the heaviest announced weight of bombs unloaded by planes under General MacArthur's command since their intensive attack in the Solomons area began. Results of the previous raids on the area, 300 to 350 miles northwest of Guadalcanal, as announced in previous communiques, were Thursday, direct hit on one vessel and four others were straddled by bombs. None of the vessels was identified. Friday, a wave of heavy bombers scored two hits on a heavy cruiser or battleship and placed other bombs very close to a light cruiser and an airplane carrier, probably causing extensive damage. A second wave of attackers, medium bombers, hit a heavy cruiser or battleship with a 500-pound bomb. The third wave, also of heavy bombers, hit and set ablaze an unidentified vessel and scored two possible hits on a destroyer. Saturday, heavy bombers scored direct hits on a heavy cruiser which blew up. A light cruiser was severely damaged, a direct hit was scored on a merchantman, and other vessels were believed damaged by near-misses. No total was given for the explosives dropped in the first of the four pre-dawn raids, but in the second night, the weight was 27 tons and the third night, 18 tons. Meanwhile, interrupting the Allies' long period of virtually uncontested mastery of the air over New Guinea, 20 Zero fighters yesterday challenged a strong formation of A-20 Douglas Havocs, en route to Lai with an escort of Curtis P-40s. In a running fight which started near Lai and continued to a point south of the gap over the Owen Stanley mountain range, Allied airmen down three zeros for the loss of one P-40. The mounting intensity of aerial activity over New Guinea had been heralded yesterday by a flight of B-25 medium bombers, which dropped 10 tons of missiles on runways, dispersal bays, and supply dumps. And that's the news from Australia. Turkey's president, Inonu, has warned that his country is in danger of being attacked. He doesn't say who's likely to do the attacking, but he does stress this. With the wall spreading over every quarter of the globe, one begins to understand that political institutions founded on domination by a single power cannot be maintained. That statement is interpreted as applying to the Axis. Inonu issued the warning at yesterday's opening of the winter session of the Turkish parliament, and that's the story from Turkey. Reports from the Balkans today tell of new unrest in Italian-occupied Albania. Prison guards at Tirana, the capital, are said to have fired on a group of girls, killing 16 and wounding 25. The girls were demonstrating for the release of political prisoners. The reports say that Albanian women are taking an increasingly active role in opposition to the fascists because so many of their men have fled to the hills to fight with the guerrillas.
1: He was a spinster, but hardly sarcastic. Now before closing, here are the latest developments to this hour. Vichy says that American tanks have entered the Algerian naval base and port of Oran, the other big base, Casablanca, being expected to fall shortly. Admiral Darlan, the head of the Vichy forces, and the vice premier has been captured. British bombers made a heavy attack on Hamburg during the night. A heavy attack on Hamburg.